So I just wanted to start by um, just really a deep bow to all of you and to the Sangha for uh, your practice while I was away, for your generosity, which allowed me to actually go on retreat. Uh, I felt very uh, held by this Sangha, by the board, by the teachers, uh, during the benefit over the Christmas break. Uh, it wouldn't have been possible without. Yeah. So I was actually, there was times while I was on retreat where I was overwhelmed with emotion uh, about the, just the, the generosity, you know, the dana, the true dana. And um, so it's part of what I'm going to talk about tonight. <clears throat> while I was away, I, um, <clears throat> Did a bit of meditation practice. <laughs> and um, I did a bit of sutta study as well. And, you know, I primarily focused on the... Uh, I wasn't supposed to, but I did it anyway, because I'm rebellious. You know. <laughs> and um, I primarily focused on the, the teachings of the Buddha towards householders, towards lay people. Because that's what I am. I'm not a monk. We're not monks. And a lot of the suttas that, at least in, particularly in this tradition, of the Theravada tradition, kind of come through that uh, lens. And it's important to make a distinction, because the Buddha was very clear that there's a distinction. You know? um, and he taught monastics, people who were uh, way-seekers, truth-seekers, that took... Um, you know, bhikkhus and uh, bhikkhunis, right? <clears throat> Monks and nuns took a particular path of uh, renunciation. Two hundred and twenty-seven, you know, vows, precepts, agreements, rules. Really, as a way to kind of fend off all of the insanity of living in the world, you know. To really focus in on what the truth seeker's path is, which is to become fully liberated, extinguish the suffering that we all experience. And actually, so I said 227, it's 331 for uh, the Bukini. Uh, what the Kunis, yeah, the female monastics. I, that's a new word for me. The Kunis. Anyway, the um, and the but I, at first I was like three hundred thirty-one. Like, why are there more? You know, did the Buddha set more down? And then I actually found out through investigation, instead of just contempt prior to, um, that actually the female monastics created those extra rules for themselves. Um, maybe to be more hardcore. I don't know. But. Uh, but so there was a particular teaching that the Buddha gave when he would speak to only uh, monastics. And then when speaking to householders, which he often did uh, during his 45 years of wandering, teaching, whoever asked for teaching, he primarily focused on three things. On dana, like this uh, uh, teaching of generosity, the act of generosity, the giving. I'll be speaking a little bit about that. 
sila, right? ethical behavior, ethical living, living in a way that is non-harming. And uh, a, a newer word for me, I've heard before, called bhavana, which basically means meditation practices. All of them. Right? And so in this uh, culture, in the Western culture, and when I started for sure, you know, what generally gets talked about and, and taught is meditation practice, first. Um, and it's, it's actually backwards. Uh, meditation practice and the, the, you know, the path seeking, you know, enlightenment, relief from suffering, is really kind of the, 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 not the final step, but the third step for uh, lay people and monastics. So I thought I would touch a little bit on that. One, because I was so kind of like um, just grateful for the dana that I have received, uh, both in this role as a you know teacher or whatever ring beller, bell ringer, or uh, uh, or just you know a, a member of the sangha that um, you know couldn't afford to go sit. A two-month meditation retreat had not people been able to help me pay my bills, you know, just on a real kind of practical level. That and also um, <clears throat> when I was in Asia, you know, last year, I had some really profound like experiences of dana of generosity that kind of just shifted my perception completely about it. Um, because I'm greedy. Because I grew up here, right? And we're taught greed. And we're also taught giving and generosity, but it's different. It's just so different. Um, so I want to read a little, some words of the Buddha. So I'm going to try to cover these three, I don't know, they're big topics, but I'll try to cover all three in the amount of time we have left. So words from the Buddha. If beings knew, as I know, the results of giving and sharing, they would not eat without having given, nor would they stain nor would the stain of selfishness overcome their minds. Even if it were the, their last bite, their last mouthful, they would not eat without having shared. If there were someone to receive their gift. And the, the part that really s- struck me when I first read this is, if beings knew as I know, this perfectly enlightened being that has woken up to the reality and the end of suffering, saying really clearly, like, generosity is key. And this is something that, um, that in Asia... Children are taught uh, from the earliest age, you know, as soon as they can grasp, you know, because that's part of it, grasping. As soon as they can grasp, they're brought out at like 5.30 in the morning as the monks come by for alms rounds. And I had the, the privilege of being able to go on alms rounds while I was there. And the little seeing these little teeny hands 
grabbing a scoopful of rice and putting it in a monk's bowl and then having the whole family go, yay, and like excited for them, right? And the monks just, you know, kind of ardent, just, you know, head down, keep walking, providing an opportunity for that teaching. I found beautiful and, you know, and really difficult at the same time. Like this idea of, like for myself, you know, to, to try to take this idea of how do I um, live in a way where I'm, only, where I'm completely reliant on the generosity of others in this day and age in the U.S.? Where I'm at right now is probably as close as I can get. So that was one, it was one of those moments where I was like, just it was so profound to me to see how it was uh, taught and every Thai person is taught this. So then there's other, um, there's stories of Ajahn Pasano talking about, um, you know, when, when they would go to, for alms rounds and someone would offer them a soda, like a, a, a monastic, a drink, right? And they would take a drink and then they'd give it to whatever little kid was kind of tugging on their rope, you know. And then the little kid, instead of running and, you know, hoarding it and drinking it on, its, on their own, would actually go and find their friends or their brothers and sisters and, and share it with them. You know, and children do this, right? They understand this if they're taught, and even there may be even a natural inclination, unless maybe you're an only child. Then it might be harder. I was talking with a friend of mine today who has three children and said that her his uh, his middle daughter is very just good at giving, sharing, just and without really even being taught. So it's of course it's in our culture. Um. But there's a little bit of a different way in which uh, some people call it beggarly giving. It's in the in the uh, Buddhist text. There's a, a way of talking about it as beggarly giving, kind of giving with one hand behind the back, giving and make, making sure everyone sees you giving. Mm-hmm. Like, see how generous I am when really I'm only giving like whatever a dollar to a bomb or something. You know, I don't know. You know, I mean, it's just there's a way in which that is a a, a, a way that I've seen it uh, play out here. And it's actually been very much a part of my life too. Um, you know, I'm, I'm in no way uh, better than, uh, maybe even. Uh, no, actually, I couldn't even say that. I was going to say less than, but that's not true either. That what's true is we all struggle with this, right? So giving inclines the mind toward freedom from attachment. Freedom from attachment. Basically, the end of suffering. Right there. Don't attach. Don't cling. Don't suffer. I loved, uh, there's this teaching that I got from Ajahn, Ajahn Chah, you know, translated because he's been gone for a long time. But um, when I was at uh, Wat Bapong, which is Ajahn Chah's monastery, right? I was at uh, Wat Pananachah, which is where I went on the alms rounds and like every morning, you know, barefoot, carrying a, you know, bag, I was basically a pack mule for the food, you know. Um, but uh, uh, it, it provided a wonderful opportunity. I was giving of my strength and my, you know, body to help carry food and be a part of that process. And then I was also receiving that food and the experience. Right? So then I was also, uh, there were, I happened to arrive at Wat Pananachat when it was the uh, memorial of Ajahn Chah. I had no idea that was going to happen, but it did. So there was a week of 
people just are coming and arriving at this monastery. So like 900 monastics from all over Thailand, um, mostly, uh, well, maybe it was maybe close to a thousand, mostly Thai, uh, actually almost all Thai except for the 20 or so that were at uh, Wat Pananacha, which is a Western monastery. And then two or three thousand lay people that set up booths, all food was free, that truckloads for the one meal a day for the, the, the 800, 900 monks, truckloads of people would come with prepared food every day. It was amazing. And people were smiling, taking truckloads of food off of these, and no one was arguing, there was no, no one was directing, do this, do that. It was just pure, heart-loving generosity. And I remember, and I was kind of got swept up in it, and I was like kind of pulling, you know, holding this, and, and then being like, oh, I'm really hungry, that looks good, you know, and then another plate would come, and then there was tables and tables and tables of food. So much there's no way I could have eaten all of it, even though I thought about it. <laughs> because I'm greedy, right? So I was so, I, there was a moment where I just had, I was so like, my heart was light, I was pulled, I was expanded, I had to pull away, I had to go away. I went sat under a tree for a little while, and just um, weeped at the amount of uh, kindness that was present. It was so beautiful, right? Just thinking about it now kind of brings that up. So giving inclines the mind toward freedom from attachment. Uh, if only if it was that easy, you know. So this idea of giving for the sake of giving, right? Giving with an open heart. This is the, the true kind of essence that the, the Buddha was talking about. When he would teach, you know, to children or to lay people, be generous, be kind, be loving. That's what he was saying. Free yourself. Don't just give to others so that they can have less suffering. Free yourself. I love that. It's the whole reason why I'm involved in this, you know, so-called religion. I don't think it's religion. I call it a philosophy of living. Philosophy of Less suffering. That's me. I'm not the only one that thinks that way. Thank goodness. So, but it, what's also important is giving to self, to be generous to ourselves. This is something I think that we really miss in this in this country. Or when we do, it is it's that it's it's that kind of beggarly giving that like I need to take time for me, you know, as a, I have to wall up in order to do that. <coughs> I think of armoring, you know. Because I'm someone that was really good at armoring my heart for a long time. So some of the key things that the Buddha talked about around this is paying attention to the giving, right? Paying attention to what happens in the heart, in the body, in the mind, as you're having some kind of generosity. So, you know, there's baskets out there. Paying attention to what that feels like. Is there a holding? There could be. And it's okay if there is. Right? happens to all of us. Is there an open-hearted? Is there open-heartedness? Paying attention to the gift. Just whatever that is. And then how it feels to receive the benefits in the here and now of the giving. Right? 
I'm sure all of you have given a gift and been so excited about how someone else received that gift. And so paying attention to what happens in the heart and the mind while that's taking place. Whatever it is. It doesn't have to be money, food, time, you know, an ear, any of that. But we also have to be important, or we also have to remember to give to ourselves. You know, this practice is a wonderful way to give to ourselves. I find that more and more. That two months that I spent in uh, silent reflection and meditation, and a little bit of insanity, you know, some pent up frustration, all of that was all helpful for myself. For the, you know, for and in in other ways, it was also helpful for other people close to me. Come back with them like wow, like I had a really great you know couple of visits with my mom. I wasn't angry. I, I saw her like two days after I got back. So I was all, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and she had missed me. I hadn't seen her in a while, so it was benefiting her too, right? So there was one. There's one other experience I kind of wanted to talk about in regards to Donna that happened. Well, there's two actually, but only I'll, I'll just talk about this second one. So after being at Wapananachad and being in Thailand for a time, I, I, I then went to India. Never had been to India before. India was a crazy place. Um, and beautiful and challenging and lots of opportunities to be generous and lots of overwhelming uh, uh Ways in which greed really shows up. So I'll tell two quick stories. Okay, I was on a train, a three-day train. <laughs> Enough of the three-day train. Right? So I'm on a three-day train, and I get on, and I have my little you know bunk that I paid like whatever extra to have, you know. And uh, I was like, okay, I'm gonna be on this train for three days. You know, I could do some reading. You know, hopefully I won't get sick from the food. And uh, I'll at least go to sleep, you know, have earplugs. So the first night and then morning was great. You know, it was kind of, there was no one above me, no one below me. I was, you know, in this middle bunk. Actually, no, I was in the bottom bunk. There was, and there was no one uh, above me or next to me. And then the next morning, this family gets on right, with a little girl, like, I don't know, four, three, and they were big people too, and they had like fifty bags, you know. <laughs> and they were just, and they were just like all in my space <laughs> that I had carved out because I'm American, you know, and I need my space. <laughs> and I was like, like rigid. I was looking down at my book. And look, I'm reading. I'm reading. I was reading uh, <laughs> uh, Jonica Tales, you know. I was reading. I just come from meeting, being with the Dalai Lama. <laughs> And I was all, you know, I was just, whatever. I was like reading Buddhism and, you know, stories of the Buddha being generous and kind. <laughs> Looking up. <laughs> Get away from me. In my mind, right? Of course I smiled and sometimes, you know. But, and then the little girl would just like, just jump. She kind of came over into my space. and So, like, a few hours. They were, you know, the, the, the Hindu couple, the family, they were, you know... Um, they could, respectful. They could see that I was agitated. <laughs> but then eventually, like I can't remember what happened, but 
I just realized, like, I'm being foolish, you know, and I'm not, it's not my country, it's not my, you know, just whatever, let it go. So next thing I know, they're, like, sharing their sweet cakes with me, and we're talking about India, and they're like, you're a guest in my country, and I just, it, it, they just enveloped me as part of their family, and it was beautiful. And all I had to do was shift, and they just sat right there waiting for that to happen. It was all about my, me and mine and greed and um, and so yeah, and, and at first you know they'd be offering me these. They had all these sweets, like so many. I don't know where they, they were going with family or something. It was some holiday? There's always a holiday, and, and, then, and they would offer me this, and I'd be like, no, no, because I didn't want to be obligated. Yeah. I didn't want to, if I if I took some, then what if something that I had they wanted? Mm-hmm. It, was, it came up in my mind. But I, I took one, I ate it, and it was good. And then I was a little scared, too. Like Some of them were kind of scary looking. But, you know, whatever. I ate it. And then before I knew it, the kid was jumping on my on my lap, and we're all laughing. And he's talking to me about philosophy. I'm talking to him about Buddhism. He's talking to me about Hinduism. And, and it was just great. And then I spent a day and a half, and I felt so much more comfortable, even though I didn't have my own space. It didn't matter, you know. And that was a huge um, gift of generosity. And a huge, and luckily I was in a mind state where I could see that what was happening. Right? It doesn't always happen. So, another quick story. Maybe I won't get to the other ones. But I really wanted to talk about Donna, actually, generosity. It's so important. So, then I was on my way to Bodhgaya. Yeah. Bodhgaya is the. Uh, Birthplace of Buddhism, one would some, someone say. It's the place of the Buddha's enlightenment. How many people have been to Bodhgaya? A few, yeah. Right. Crazy, out of control. Place where the Buddha got enlightened. Buy this, buy that. It's crazy, out of control. Right? But there's all of these monasteries. And there's monks there all the time. And there's hundreds of people practicing. So I would go, you know, I, I stayed at this uh, center and I would meditate all through the morning, the afternoon until it started to get uh, cooler. So then I would go to the to the uh, the Bodhi tree and then do some walking meditation and uh, be a little uh, greedy looking for uh, mm-hmm. Bodhi leaves, mm-hmm. which I brought one back and put it there. That fell actually while I was meditating. In, under the Bodhi tree it like fell. It was all, ooh, it's the sun. <laughs> <laughs> um... So one day I was walking back, it was kind of, you know, dusk, and I saw these three or four younger monks, that, that, you know, early, late teens, early 20s, and they had some kind of, like, they were like mishmash robes, like they had like a, a, a an orange robe, and then they had like a maroon robe underneath, and they were just like, they just had all these different kinds of robes, you know, and I was like, oh, I wonder what's up with that, and so I, uh, and they were like, just, I don't know why, but they just beamed at me, smiled and I walked across the road and talking and they invited me to their uh, their little monastery that was, you know, a little bit more than a shack. It was, you know, it was uh, not as big as some of the other. There was huge monasteries there, you know, beautiful, lots of money. And there was this tiny little building, right? And the first thing they did was offer me tea and cookies. It was in the evening, so they had already eaten. They offered me tea and cookies and just smiled. And talked, and they were from uh, Bangladesh, a Bangladesh monster. And I asked, like, hey, "What's up with the robes?" And they were like, 
oh, well, you know, we take what's offered. Because you know, mm-hmm. we don't have a lot, obviously. They're, they're monastic. But, um, but they offered, you know, me what little they had. And that was pretty powerful. And I actually was moved. I, I, so I stayed. They invited me for their evening sitting and chanting. And I stayed. And, and they, they had an interesting practice. And um, it was different, you know. And they were very young, new, novice monks, you know. And, uh, and then the next, I, next day I went by. I did it again in the evening. And, and, um, and then I was just so moved to, to, to make an offering to them. Um, so I went and I bought all these things, you know, toilet paper. All these, I was like, what, what would a monk need? What would a monk need? You know, crackers, tea, okay, that's good. Toothbrushes, that's good. Toothpaste, you know, all these different soap. I was just like, whatever I could get, you know. And, uh, and I went and I brought it in that, the evening for tea when they were offering me tea. And, um, and they, were, they were like making such a big deal about it, you know. I just wanted to like give it, give it, and like leave. That's all I wanted to do, you know. Like, thank, you know, here, thank you for the tea the other day. You know, nice to meet you. Good luck. And they were like, no, no, camera, camera. <laughs> they had to do this big, and they all wanted to take a picture of receiving it. And it was so, like, pay attention to the giving and the receiving was what they were showing me that the Buddha talks about. And I was so just blown away by it. And um, left, you know, feeling just light. And I just, like, was floating, you know. Because of the, 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 and it wasn't, you know, it was like maybe $40, you know what I mean, of stuff, you know. But it was so huge. I want to read another quick thing about uh, generosity from the Buddha. <clears throat> the practice of generosity. Some provide from the little they have. Others who are affluent don't like to give. Don't like to give. An offering given from what little one has is worth a thousand times its value. Some provide from the little they have. Others who are affluent don't like to give. An offering given from what little one has is worth a thousand times its value. So paying attention to the giving. And giving with an open heart, regardless of what it is, was something that I had received, you know, while I was there. And it was just so different. And then the paying attention to the receiving of the Donna when I when I came back and when I was on my way to um, to this retreat, you know, literally uh, could not pay my bills, and uh, while I was awake, so I wasn't working. You know, so to receive that. So when I said I give a deep bow, I really mean it. So thank you. <clears throat> okay, what else? So sila. So first is generosity, right? Deep teaching, deep training. Constantly, we have. Every moment we have a, a, a way to give. In every moment. Even if it's just not being stuck in our mind while I'm talking now. Mm-hmm. is a wonderful way to give. Give attention. 
give awareness. And so sila is a way to kind of really protect us from ourselves. And I really found that out on this last retreat. Because uh, I've been doing this practice for a while, and I, I remember when I first started sitting, and it was like a war zone in my mind. Right? And usually it was, you're a bastard. was kind of usually the biggest thing. You're a bastard, and nothing you ever have done is worth anything, and da 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 da, da you know? Because mm-hmm. that's what, what it was like. So, this idea of sila, right, the five precepts the Buddha talked about, is really about non harming as a protection for ourselves, taking refuge, and setting clear intention. Not perfection, setting clear intention to not cause harm. Because since I've first tied a little string around my wrist or taken the five, eight, or ten precepts at times, um, I've still caused harm, but not intentionally. Mostly not intentionally. So it's important to understand that, that the Buddha wasn't like, do this or else. I mean, he kind of was. Do this or else you're going to continue to suffer and it's not going to be helpful and you're going to try to meditate and uh, you're going to, you know, cause more affliction. So he was kind of saying it really clearly. He was really clear cut okay, and practical. Skillful action, right? So no intentional killing non-harming in any way. Protecting life would be another way to look at it. You know, non, uh, not stealing, not taking that which is not given. Pretty simple to do, actually. Can be hard at times, difficult, inconvenient. But really, if we set a clear intention, pretty simple to do. To be wise with our sexuality or to be non-harming with our sexual intention and action. Huge one, I think, in our society. And also pretty simple to do. Maybe inconvenient, but simple. So wise speech, right? Not take or uh, being wise with our with our words, not lying, cheating, stealing, gossiping. Being slanderous. This is one that it has been a big struggle for me. To because I'm sarcastic, right? I was raised in an Italian family, you know, they're from the East Coast, always cutting with little you know, and I go and see my uncle actually just recently after I got out of this retreat, and it was like kinda hit me, oh yeah, that's the way I was raised, you know. And I still do it, I mean it's not like I don't. But my my intention is a lot different and the way in which I am sarcastic, I, I think, today has changed a bit. <laughs> I think, I don't know. But so wise speech, right? And then the last of the five precepts is uh, not taking intoxicants, period, actually. Um, and then it's been, it's been translated here in the West into, to be a little softer. But really, don't use intoxicants that cloud the mind that creates suffering, that um, that lead to us harming ourselves and others. Right? 
And that was, you know, both the Buddha's instruction to monastics and to lay people. Um, but it's been changed and altered a little bit here. And, you know, there's some skillfulness around, some skillful means about that. You know, uh, I have, you know, some personal views about it, but the Buddha was, was pretty clear in some of the trans, and some of the translations are be wise with uh, intoxicant. So, you know, discern whether it's harmful or not. Sometimes people can do that. Sometimes people can't. And I think that's part of what, what we need to, you know, look at and think about. This is uh, simple, but not always convenient. So dhamma and sila, the two prerequisites before meditation practice is even really given. Live in a generous way, be non-harming in all these ways, then sit and meditate. Then bhavana, the meditative practice. Um, What I found is that the Buddha actually talked about this as the gradual training. Stephen Levine wrote a book called Gradual Awakening, which was one of my first books, Buddhist books I ever read, that my friend Noah gave me when I was like 20. And it made a lot of sense then. And I'm actually, I've been rereading it. And it makes a lot of sense now. It's funny how that works. And more is a little clear, you know. So. So bhavana. You know, one of the interesting things that I, I found out about this word bhavana is it shorthand for developing skillful qualities in the mind. Period. Meditation is about developing skillful qualities in the mind. Dhamma is about developing skillful qualities in the mind and the heart. Preparing one to be open. Letting go of clinging, grasping, greed. Sila is about is it is about the same thing? It's about developing skillful qualities in your life, so that when we do sit down for meditation, it's not um, a war zone. You know, and it still will be. You know, it still is. But I call it a war zone. You could call it what you know, whatever, whatever the the, the voice is that's talking to you. We know what I think is helpful about that just on a side note, is the idea of that there is uh, there is a thinker or a, a talker in the mind and then there's a listener. And that if you can realize that you're the one listening, that you're not actually the one talking, you could choose not to listen. <laughs> it's pretty helpful to do that. <laughs> or you could choose what? You can discern what you want to listen to. You know, or you can change the, the voice to a caring voice instead of a punitive voice like the principal voice so bhavana is a type of karma right the intentional activity ultimately leading to the end of karma this intentional meditative practice ultimately leading to the end of karma which is the deathless which is enlightenment which is liberation this is really what the Buddha was pointing to in every teaching that he gave. 
Right? Don't be attached, especially to the self, because it's all illusion. And, you know, end your karma. So that you don't have to be born again into this world. This is the Buddhist perspective. So, but this is karma nonetheless. This working through, uh, the work at hand is one of the ways that it's translated. I love that, the work at hand. Work to be done. This uh, meditation practice is a defragmentation, deconstruction of the self. So this bhavana is all the practices, the Satipatthana Sutta, the Four Foundations of Mindfulness, the Loving Kindness Sutta and Practices, all the concentrative practices, all of it. In the Satipatthana Sutta, the Four Foundations of of Mindfulness, um, there is uh, the the fourth foundation is all the Buddhist teaching. (laughs) So it's like pay attention to the breath, the body, you know, the thinking, the feeling tones. I mean, what's happening in the mind, and then all of the Buddhist teachings. So, it's taking a long time. So the last thing that I'll say today, I, I'll skip some stuff because we're running out of time and clearly I'm long-winded. But um, the last thing that I'll say is I'm going to read actually words from the Buddha about the four foundations of mindfulness, right? which I think sums up actually all of Bhavana. So this is the only way, monks or practitioners, for the purification of beings, for the overcoming of sorrow and lamentation, for the destruction of pain and grief, for reaching the right path, for the attainment of Nibbana, namely the four foundations of mindfulness. This is the only way for the purification of beings, for the overcoming of sorrow and lamentation, for the destruction of pain and grief, for reaching the right path, for the attainment of Nibbana, namely, the four foundations of mindfulness. So hopefully... uh, Things that I said were, were helpful. I don't know if they, they were helpful for me. I enjoyed it. <laughs> and really, you know, I'm just here for Donna, so, you know, <laughs> you're not paying me. I could say whatever I want. I love that. <laughs> I do appreciate your uh, time and attention. And uh, we have some time for questions and maybe uh, one or two. And then uh, I have some announcements. Yeah. Please. What's the book you're reading from? This is called The Issue at Hand. And it's a wonderful book by Gil Fromsdale, okay. uh, the uh, guiding teacher at I- IMC. And you can actually get this book free from him. And he'll actually, if you just email him, they'll send you one. It's an excellent book. lays out you know some basic Buddhist te- the Buddha teachings. The, the what at hand? The, the issue at hand. I'll, you can pass, you pass it back to him so you can see. We use it as our basic textbook in the prison dogma program. Yeah. The soul of that prison. It's clear, concise, and helpful. Please. Hi, I'm Lucy. Hi. Um, Jason, I wonder if you could talk about, because I went on retreat with some of the nuns that were visiting Mm -hmm. at Spirit Rock, Mm -hmm. and um, someone asked a question about 
how do we give with, without expectation? Because like you're talking about, oh, it makes us feel so good. And like, how do we not get attached to that? Yeah. And I remember one of the nuns' responses, well, that, that requires a very developed sense of dawn. <laughs> and I thought maybe you could just just speak on that a little bit, like maybe your experience with that. Or yeah, yeah. maybe that just takes time or... I think practicing and being, I think the being aware of the, the feeling of when you're giving is, is really the practice of it. That's how that, that's, that gets developed, the non-attachment of it. Because giving is a fact of, is, is a non-attachment. But if I'm attached to the outcome of giving, right? Like I'm going to give to you and then you're going to smile at me and then you're going to, because there, you know, there was times in India where I, I would give to, you know, some of the beggars there and they would just run off. <laughs> No, thank you. No, anything, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then there was times actually where I didn't give to them because I had learned about how it's actually part of the mafia and how people are actually tortured to be uh, beggars, like all this stuff. You know, uh, actually, Slumdog Millionaire does a good job of showing that. Mm-hmm. But um, anyway, so that's I think it's actually just that idea of paying attention to the act of giving, what's happening in, in internally. Can help open that awareness. Yeah. Maybe uh, one more. Please. I just um, wanted to say something on the tail of that because I was actually that was going through my mind as well, and I think. Um, in this Western society, it is really hard to give without the expectation of receiving. And, mm. and in a way, giving and then receiving, it can be seen as, as greed. You know, like if I give and I want to receive. But what about, how does it tie into the concept of reciprocity? Uh-huh. Which, to me, is sort of a more, like a balanced kind of way of, it doesn't, it doesn't in, in, uh, imply greed so much. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I just, I really struggle with that you know, sure. when I give and, I, you know, just the whole, the ego comes in sometimes sure. and I, mean, I think I'm pretty good at it, but that definitely comes up and it's sure. definitely a condition thing. Mm-hmm. And I don't pay, know. And paying attention to when the greed comes up. Right. Yeah, I laugh at myself. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, th- here's, and here's a, uh, an example, um, just quickly and then we, we have to end, but... I have zero expectation of what kind of dhamma or what kind of me being here today and really taking this seat that I've been asked to take and encouraged to take um, is really an act of giving. You know? And I have no expectation. There's an opportunity for you to, uh, to give if you need to or want to. But there's no expectation. And to me, that's the reciprocity. Is, is you get to discern what's true for you. You have the you have the opportunity to that. Yeah. Heidi, quickly. Well, I just think that there's so much um, that true generosity is when you don't feel separated mm-hmm. from. It's not like I'm giving to you or mm-hmm. you're giving to me. If we're not mm-hmm. separate from each other, if we really are one being, mm-hmm. then it's one hand washes the other. Mm-hmm. It reminded me of another story, but I'll, I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I won't get into it right now. Because we have some announcements and, you know, some people...
Might need to leave. I could hang out here all day, but or all night. It's nice to be back. So some announcements. Thank you for that. So April thirtieth, we're having a community meeting here. The board, uh, the board of directors, is uh, kind of sponsoring. Or, you know, we're putting on three a year, and it's going to be Thursday, April thirtieth, and it'll be on the website uh, really quickly. But I wanted to just let you know. Um, if, yeah, as soon as I send you the thing, okay. <laughs> which will be tonight. So April thirtieth, and the community meeting is a, really a way for you as or us as a sangha to just. Talk about what's happening here. There's going to be a little bit of discussion around the finances and and a little bit of discussion around um, uh, our kind of organizational system of the board and 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 uh, uh, teachers and committees and so on and so forth. So April 30th, be looking for that. It'll be in place. Well, it'll be part of this. Uh, it'll be part of this talk. I mean, thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.